Holy Spirit's flow to this message. May he add his blessing to the reading of his word. And may he be with both those that hear it and the one that speaks it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I'm watching Seinfeld yesterday. I didn't watch Seinfeld when Seinfeld was popular. I guess Seinfeld's always popular. I started watching Seinfeld because my oldest son, when he was in college, started telling me things about Seinfeld, and I would say, he would say, Dad, have you ever watched that one? And I would say, no. Have you ever watched that one? And I would say, no. And here it is, he's been out of school now five or six years, and he still says to me, have you ever seen that one? So I started watching it. So everyone now and again, I can say to him, yeah, I saw that one, and he'll tell me about it. But I'm watching Seinfeld, and if you know the characters, uh, Costanza, George Costanza has borrowed Jerry's car. It's a rental car, and he takes it out, and he wrecks his rental car. And he wrecks the rental car to the tune of about $2,000. Now, today, $2,000 may or may not sound like a lot to you. It sounds like a lot to me. But you've got to remember that when Seinfeld was filmed, what's it been, 30 years ago? I mean, $2,000 would have been a pile of cash. And Jerry finds out that the rental car was not covered for anyone driving it except for himself. You sit down, the next scene, they're in a coffee shop, and Jerry orders a cup of coffee, and Costanza, George Costanza, who wrecked the car, says to Jerry, here, let me pay for that. It's the least that I could do. <laughs> We sometimes look at forgiveness this same way. I want to walk you through this, and church, I want to apologize in advance, but I'm not really going to apologize because I think it'll be worth your wait. I'm really going to take some time with this text today, some time that you've probably never seen somebody take, but I think it's important that we take that time. I'm going to go through it. I'm going to go back and go through a couple of verses. I'm going to boil it down to that final point that you need to hear, and then I'm going to challenge you. Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive someone that sins against me? My brother that sins against me. Should I do it seven times? Now forgiveness, in its just general meaning with that Greek word that is used here in the book of Matthew, means simply this, to stop blaming or taking an offense into account. It means, at its best and easiest, a very simple concept, which is just three words. Get this, to let go. Are you with me? To let go. So Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times do I need to let go of this? And I want you to think about that for a minute, because if you let something go, it should never come back. But Peter knows, much like you and I know innately, that it's our human nature not often to let go and Jesus says to Peter Peter I don't say to you seven times but 70 times seven times and you've heard every sermon that's ever been preached about what well, does it mean 49 does it mean 490 times does it mean infinity and I, I'm glad you've heard those sermons I've preached them but the one thing that really matters in this conversation is that the word seven the number seven is the number of completion are you with me? The number of completion. So the message is, according to Jesus, 
Peter, you should forgive to the point that your forgiveness is complete. Kingdom of heaven, and here it comes. Jesus is going to tell one of those stories that we call parables. The kingdom of heaven is like this, Peter. You can compare it to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. You know, when you go into a restaurant and you eat and you take your slip up and you pay the bill, you've settled accounts. When you go to the grocery store and you gather up your groceries in a cart and you go to the checkout, you have settled the account. You pay what you owe. This king wants to settle accounts. There are some folks that owe him, and he is going to settle those accounts now. And when he began to do that, there was one who was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. This person owed. He had an obligation of paying a debt, a, a debt and it was 10,000 talents. Now, I could sit here and go through with you all the manipulations of what it takes to arrive at what that amount of money would be in today's dollars. And I'm actually going to give it to you momentarily. But, but what I, I want you to, to get is that it is huge. It is huge. 10,000 talents. A denarii would take an ordinary, it, it was a day's labor. A denarii, but, but we're talking 10,000 talents. When you convert it into the, the dollars and cents of the matter, get ready, put your seatbelt on, embrace yourself, because I'm about to give you a figure that you're just going to laugh at. It's the equivalent of working for 160,000 years. So, so when Jesus tells this story, the people that heard it, I can hear them in my mind. You've probably never heard them before, but I can hear them right now laughing. 160,000 years of working? It's just, it's, it's an amount of money that you and I cannot even think of. And there's an offense that's taking place. It's, it's the breach in the relationship between the king and this man that you need to pay attention to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you four different things as we travel through here, and then I'll put them all on the screen together. But the first thing I want you to see is the offense. It's a big one. It's a huge amount. So much so that you wouldn't believe it could be so. And since the servant could not pay, his master ordered for him to be sold with his wife, with his children, and all that he had, and then payment to be made. So the servant falls on his knees, and he implores the king, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Now, now let's just stop for a minute. Remember I told you the hearers would have laughed? They just giggled again. Because there's no way you could pay that debt. And everybody knows it. <laughs> have patience with me, and I'll cover the bill. Just give me some time. G give me a little bit of time. That is the request. Don't put me in prison. Be a little bit patient, and I, I will cover this. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. If you're looking at that verse on the screen, you will see the word pity right there. And I want you to see it, because what the word means is to be affected deeply, 
to be affected deeply. The, the, the master, the king, had pity for him. Especially in that respect, characterized by sympathy or compassion. Sympathy or compassion. second word I want you to see is that word relief. Relief. What's it mean? He says, Travis, would you do me a favor? Would you go check on Debbie for me? Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him. What does the word mean? It means to set free. It means to release. It means to let go. And he forgave him the debt. Let's be clear about what that means. He said, you don't have to pay this. He absolved him of payment. That is the release. The king releases this man from his debt, which was so large he would never be able to repay it anymore. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, and he said, pay what you owe. He seized him. He, he got a hold of him. And look at what it says he did. He choked him. He, he's got his hands around his throat. For a hundred denarii, church. This amount is so infinitesimally small that you can't imagine it. And he's choking this guy over it. That's the new offense I want you to see this morning. This is the beginning of a cycle, if you're not paying attention. And the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. And he said, have patience with me and I will pay you. Does that sound familiar to you? Those are precisely the words that he used with his master when his master forgave him. And now he's choking this guy. He's got him held. He's saying, you owe me some money and I want it back. And this guy says, just have patience and I'll pay you. And the thing here is that it was probably likely that eventually he could. But he refused. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when the fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you, you should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. Really what the king or the master is asking here is, didn't you learn? The lesson I taught you? Didn't you learn that I was having mercy on you and you needed to practice that with others? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. There's the verdict. There's the verdict. And the way Jesus ends this story ought to wake us up. So also... My heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. 
Church, I want to remind you of the five things. I told you I'd come back and show you. I hope they're on the screen correctly. There was the offense. He owed money he could not pay back. There was the request. Please have mercy on me. There was the release. The king forgave him. There was the new offense. This guy owes a little bit of money. He's going to come after him. And there's the verdict or the judgment that takes place for this individual. I want to put on the screen a verse that's going to be very important for me as I continue on today. Read it with me. Can you read it with me? Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. I'm about to jump into something I never do with you folks, but I'm going to do it today. And when you leave, if I'm wrong, you can tell me, Joe, you're dead wrong. That's okay. But I'm going to jump in here with you for a minute. You know, when I was growing up, I knew all my neighbors. Did you? When I was growing up, we played outside all summer long. We played all spring. We played all winter. In fact, we'd go out there anytime just to play. Sometimes we slept out. Sometimes when school was on, you would come home from school, drop your stuff just inside the door, get a drink, maybe a little snack, run out the door so you could go play football until it was so dark that you couldn't or the streetlights came on or maybe even a little bit later than that. When I was a kid, you could go to church camp or Boy Scout camp or Girl Scout camp or whatever there was and you didn't seem to have any worries. We were probably wrong about that. My own personal home, get this, trying to figure this out. We never locked our doors. I don't think we had keys to the doors. It wasn't until long after my father died, who by the way was a policeman, and I guess there's a little bit of period in that back then, but we didn't have keys. It, it was long after he died that my mother finally went and got a key for the doors. Today, you know what? We don't neighbor. Today, we rarely see kids outside playing beyond their front yard, never after dark. All the youth camps we have are suspect, aren't they? We bolt our doors multiple times, we buy security cameras, and why do we do that? Turn on your TV and look at the news. Pick up a newspaper and read what's there. Serial killers, rapists, crime everywhere, a lack of trust for the government and institutions, Crime is just rampant. And you hear in the background, and I know this is where I'm going to get in trouble, but I'm going to get in trouble. You hear in the background this call for justice, right? Justice. We want justice. We want people to do the time because they did the crime. We aren't worried about rehabilitation any longer. We want people to get what they deserve in our eyes. And, and I'm going to point back at that verse. Lawlessness has increased. It has. Don't tell me it's always been this way. I want to tell you what, it's bad. I get tired of seeing it. don't want to hear any more of it. It depresses me. It makes me sick. But Jesus hit the nail on the head. Crime will grow, and when it does, the love of many will grow cold. Instead of a cry of forgiveness, we've left forgiveness at the door. We threw the baby out with the bathwater and said, we just want justice. And the people 
including ourselves, who have that lawless bit in them, who once might have had a chance for rehabilitation, are simply nothing but candidates for punishment. You see, it's a loss of love for humanity that's found in our mindset. It trickles down to our relationships. Stay with me here. It trickles down to the way we treat each other. Now, there, there's no law against being rude to your neighbor. There, there's no law about gossiping about Bob. But we have our own law books here. And if he did that or if she did that, I am not going to forgive them. We want them to suffer. We want justice to them to pay exactly to the point or more that we have paid for what they did. And we have thrown forgiveness out the window. You see, we've lost our ability to give forgiveness to love the way Jesus would have. Remember that lady who was taken in the act of adultery, you know, and all that? And Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. We've lost that. That was his love. Jesus didn't say, woman, you're going to be stoned to death for what you've done. No. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. We've lost that. He's going to pay. And I'm going to pick up the rock first. Here's the worst part of it, church. Not only have we only lost the ability to forgive, I think we've also lost the ability to be forgiven. Because we don't forgive regularly, we don't forgive easily, do we? And we don't forgive lavishly. Pay attention to how Jesus started this parable. What did he say? This is what the kingdom of heaven will look like. This king who was owed a pile of money that you can't imagine forgives the debt. That's what it looks like. And when it was extended to him, you would think when he received that forgiveness from the king, you would think that he would know how to extend that to someone else. But, but he didn't, did he? The first thing you know, as soon as somebody's wronged him, he's got him by the throat. He's telling him, you owe me and you're going to pay to the last penny with interest. Let's focus on a couple of verses in this. I told you I was going to go back through. I'm going to get to my bottom line. Or use that time. Dinner's not burning yet. I want you to look at what happened. This, this king, this master, determines that he is going to settle accounts. And in that 21st verse, 24th verse, it says, When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. I want you to pay attention to the fact, fact that the king had the man brought to him. He brought him to him and he said, this is what you owe me. He named it. He confronted him with the truth. Now you may wonder why this is important. And I'm going to tell you why it's important. And again, if I'm upsetting you today, this will be another place where you get upset. For some of us, do you know what we do when someone wrongs us or when we wrong somebody? We pick up the carpet, we take the broom, and we slide it under the carpet and then put the carpet back down. 
We act when we've been punched in the mouth like something's never happened. And we think it's okay. We act when we punch somebody in the mouth like nothing ever happened. And we think that it's okay. And what happens is we form this habit that every time we do something wrong or somebody does something wrong to us, as usual, we will slide it under the carpet. And people learn that it's okay to plow you under, or you may be the type of person that learns it's okay to plow people under. The king didn't say, call this guy who owes me, and I'm going to let him just sit down here for a while, and we'll just act like nothing ever happened. The king had him brought and said to him, here's your bill. This is what you've done. If you've been around here long enough, you know that I've talked about the Sermon on the Mount repeatedly. And if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus expresses something that really ties in here, and it has to do with worship. He says in Matthew 5, verse 23, if you go to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, get up from the altar, go and first be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. Do you see what's going on there? It, nothing's getting shoved under the carpet. You can't worship right if you don't make things right. Get up from that altar, go find your brother, and tell him what's wrong. Tell him what's happening. We rarely do that. And it's up to us to know. No matter whether we've wronged or we've been wronged. Go. You see, this failure to give forgiveness and the failure to receive forgiveness is what wrecks relationships. Three verses later, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. I kind of hinted at this when we read it through the first time. I want you to get it. He pitied him. Remember what that pity word meant? It was to have compassion and sympathy for that other person. What that means is, I could have done that too. I'm a sinner too. I, I, I could identify with what's happening, with, with this person, and I, I know that I could be that way. You have to have compassion for somebody that you've wronged or someone that's wronged you because I guarantee you, you haven't lived on this earth where you haven't wronged somebody or you've been wronged by somebody. The king had pity on him. He had compassion and sympathy for his circumstance. Secondly, and I used, <laughs> I don't even know if people use, do people still use white out in the office? You know, we, we use these tapes now, right? We use these little tape things now. Uh, I, I use the word white out in my message. You can tell how old I am. The king whited out the books. What that means is he canceled the debt. Now, you know, if you don't pay your bill at Bob Evans, I haven't been to Bob Evans in forever, but I'm going to guess these days the meal is probably 15, 16 bucks. You're going to do them out of 15, 16 bucks. Remember what we said about this debt. This was astronomical. 160,000 years of working. And the king takes the white out 
to his book and goes, it's canceled. It's costly, but it's canceled. You know who paid the price for what happened? It was the master. It was the king. It was the man with the whiteout. It was the one who canceled the debt. Think about it, church. He paid the price. The king absorbed the loss. And in doing so, he absorbed the debt for this person's wrongdoing. And if you and me are ever going to be able to forgive, it will be because we master and we understand fully the concept of forgiveness and we implement it in our lives. Most of us can. When someone wrongs us, we don't want them let off the hook for wronging us. You can say you do, but I know what we do. I'm not going to go over there and speak to him until he asks for forgiveness. He has to ask. I'm going to hold this over their head is what you're saying. Or we want justice. That wrong will be kept in the account book until it's convenient to us to let them go. That'll be my justice. The king just took the white out pen and said, it's canceled. The third thing, the king released him. Now here's where you're going to stumble again. Are you tired of me telling you that I'm offending you? Here's where you're going to stumble again with what I'm saying to you. Because we have such a cry in our time for justice, if we release the wrongdoer in our head, justice is not served. But here's the problem. If you cannot do what the king did and let that person that wronged you walk free, hear me. If you cannot do what the king did and let the person that wronged you walk free, you never will. You have set up a prison for yourself. Because you're screaming for justice. The, the score's got to be settled. It's got to be evened up at least. And what happens when we call for that kind of justice, church, listen to me, is this. Because we've been wronged, we don't see clearly. Our vision is skewed. We are, we, we are damaged by what has happened. And, and our call for justice actually kind of can warp itself into a desire for revenge, to get even. Are you with me? For a desire. Our, our, our meaning of justice is, is incorrect. We say, well... I'm going to hold this card long enough that I can get even. And really what we're doing is we want to re have revenge for what's happened. So you've got to let them go like the king did. You have to release them. Now, now here's what's important. And here's where I'll try to redeem you being upset with me for what I just said. It doesn't mean they don't get justice. It simply means that it doesn't come from me if they've wronged me or from you if they've wronged you. Sure, you, you murder somebody, the police are going to put you in jail. You can say all day long, you're sorry, and will you forgive me? And you may really literally mean it, I don't know. But you're going to go to jail. But it doesn't come from me. 
Perhaps the society brings it. Somebody wrongs you, it's such a deafening wrong that everybody looks and this person becomes an outcast. It's someone that they don't want to be around. I don't know, but it's not going to come from you. You've set that free. You've forgiven that. Perhaps it will be that their own conscience gets them because believe it or not, we are made in God's image with his thumbprint on us. Every one of us, and even though we're sinners, we still have that sense of right and wrong in us to know that what we've done is wrong. But anything other than forgiveness, church, perpetuates the problem, period. And now I want you to understand why, why all this happens. You confront, you say, here's the truth, here's what you owe, you release, you, you let them go, you forgive, you set them free. Why? To restore the relationship. When the king let him go, it was so the relationship could be made right. Reconciliation. He confronted the truth. He had compassion. He identified. He had pity, whatever you want to say. He canceled the debt, and he released him. But then there's that verse that Jesus gave us, and I want you to see it again. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And, and here's the clear implication, because that, that servant got up, completely forgiven, set free, released, walks out the back door of the king's house, and the first guy he finds is the guy that owes him, that has wronged him, and he gets him around the neck, and he holds him down to choke him and says, I'm going to extract everything you owe to me, out of your body. Jesus says, the master came out and said, how could you do that? I forgave you. I set you free. So since you've done this, and I see that my forgiveness of you and my release of you and my pity on you didn't do a thing for you, now you can go to jail. It's not going to be for what you owed me. It's going to be because you weren't changed at all by what I did for you. Listen, church. The only reason you or I can forgive anybody, are you with me? The only reason that you or I can forgive anybody is because of what Jesus did for us. God forgives us. He's the master. He's the king. He releases us and sets us free. And it's our task to spread that love around, to forgive others. The relationship with God, if it is real, if it's genuine, look at what this verse says. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart, the center of one's being, center of one's life, the very thing that makes you live and breathe and have your existence, if you do not forgive from your heart, you know what this servant's problem was? It happened here, but it never happened here. What do you do? He, he goes and he says to the king, please give me some time. I'll pay you back. And we all know it's not going to happen. But the king is so gracious, he forgives him. Writes it off. Goes. And what's he do? He goes right out and does the exact opposite of what his master did for him. But 
all of this has to do with relationship. God forgives us so our relationship with him is right. And when he forgives us, it doesn't only happen this way, it happens internally. It's, it's, we receive that forgiveness, it works in our heart, and then we can extend that forgiveness and give it to others. So the relationships in our life where somebody's wronged us and somebody has done something, we are able to forgive because our relationship this way is right, we can extend it to the relationships this way. Marriages survive, husbands and wives reconcile, kids love their parents again. You'd be so shocked at what happens when we put the relationship with God first and apply it to the relationships in our lives. We learn how to forgive. Now I want to agitate you just a wee little bit further with my bottom line. God's forgiveness is extended with transformation intended. Say that again. Read that with me. God's forgiveness is extended with transformation intended. If all you want to do when you approach God's forgi forgiveness is to feel better about yourself, you have missed the point. That is exactly what this man did. Please, give me some time and I'll pay it back. I, I, I will do the right thing. Just let me pay it back. He, he wasn't at all concerned with the fact that that forgiveness was going to restore a relationship with the master. And the, the saddest thing that you ought to see in this picture today, church, this parable today is this. The forgiveness that the master, i.e. God, extended to this man didn't take. It didn't transform him at all. Do you see that? It did nothing other than white out the books. And, and, and it, it, what ought to really upset you and I is this. Is I think one of God's greatest disappointments is when we who claim to be Christians don't act like it. And in this area of forgiveness, when he has forgiven us so lavishly, a debt that you could never imagine, an amount that you could never, ever fathom, the human brain cannot compute it. He has forgiven that. And when he's forgiven that, it is meant to change us. When God extends his forgiveness, it is meant so that it doesn't just happen outwardly that we're forgiven, but inwardly we're transformed. And this poor individual, who was monumentally, exponentially, and logically forgiven of a debt that is incomprehensible, could not forgive a debt that probably amounted to less than 50 bucks. The king's forgiveness, well welcome, had absolutely no change on this man's heart. And church, I fear that some of us perhaps live that way right now. Nothing had changed for this man except for his balance sheet. God's forgiveness is extended with transformation intended. The forgiveness, the key to forgiveness, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And this man went to his debtor 
and held his feet to the fire for his debt. You know what he did? He's talking about this servant now who's been forgiven, and he finds this other guy. You know what he was doing? He was placing himself in the judgment seat. I'm judge. I'm jury. You owe me. You're not getting away with it. You know what Jesus did when he went to the cross? He did the exact opposite. He stepped out of the seat. He came down to earth. The king became one of us. And when we don't forgive, it's because of our desire to become who he rightly is. And it's wrong. The king became a servant. The king suffered the loss on our behalf. And that extravagant, costly, lavish, expensive grace that he brings to us should be able to transform us into the servant he was when he died on the cross so that we can forgive so that we can forgive and allow the transforming work of God in our heart that has reconciled us to him that restored our relationship with him to be handed out freely and just as lavishly to those that have wronged us and the relationships that are broken and the relationships that are lying on the ground, busted up like they've been dropped from a skyscraper, the relationships in our lives that have suffered because we've determined we're going to get them around the neck and choke them until they pay to the nth degree, can be transformed when he transforms us. God's forgiveness is given to us because he has intention in it. He wants us to change, friends. He wants us to be like he was to us, to the people in our lives. Amen. Let's sing together.